Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right. Good evening. Good evening. Well, hey, it's kind of a little bit of a weird setup tonight. We're spread out like this because tomorrow there is going to be the volunteer dream team gala here at New Life Church. Do I have any volunteers in the house who are coming to that tomorrow? Like this whole section right here. Um, Yeah, it's going to be a good time. So it won't be like this next week. Um, One thing to say next week is next week is First Wednesday. Everyone say First Wednesday. First Wednesday, but we will not be in First Wednesday. We are going to have youth service next week, okay? So if you show up and you're like, wait a minute, do I go left or do I go right? Come here, we're going to have service next week. Look at your neighbor and say you look good tonight. Look at your other neighbor and say, you could do better. And then just say, you're kidding, you're kidding. No, that's mean, don't say that in church. Hey, if you got your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of Proverbs. Last week, we opened up this series called This is the Way. Let me hear you say, This is the Way. This is the Way. I have spoken. All that wonderful jazz. We are going to be walking through some wisdom literature uh, in the scriptures, primarily the book of Proverbs. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job. Um, Last week, uh, if you weren't here, uh, I kind of went over what wisdom literature in scripture accomplishes for us. And so if you weren't here, I'm gonna put these three points on the screen real quick so that we can kind of re-go over them right now. Mr. Anderson, there we go. Wisdom literature, okay, these are the three things that they do for us in the scriptures. They help us to see God's world more clearly. So what we're saying in the Christian worldview is that this isn't necessarily exclusively our world, but we have a creator. There is a God who is preeminent, who is sovereign over this world, and it helps us see his world more clearly. The next thing that wisdom literature allows us to do is it enables us to explore how to live well in God's world. So it doesn't just kind of show us the difference between making good choices versus bad choices, like we're going to see a little bit tonight, but it really defi- discerns the difference between good choices and godly choices. How do, we li- how do we live well in our Father's world? And then finally, it reveals to us that we live in a moral universe. What we're going to learn as we read more and more of the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job is that there actually is a right and there actually is a wrong. There actually is an up, there is a down, there is an evil, there is a righteous, there is a good, there is a bad. And God gets to define those parameters. Um, So as we hop into tonight, I want to remind and put these things before you as we're going to talk about these three simple words tonight. God is friend. God is friend. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is going to be the goal of what we're going to try to see God saying in his word tonight, that God is friend. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we need you. We need you. Lord, I'm just so excited to have the privilege and the opportunity to open up your word, to get to grow in faith with my brothers and my sisters. Um, By your grace, to see you more beautifully by the end of this night. 
I pray that your spirit would come and it would minister to us here and now. I specifically pray for the lonely in this room right now, those who have walked in and they feel by themselves. They feel that you've turned your back on them. They feel um, that there is no one, no one to reach out to, no one to talk to. Father, I pray you would show them different tonight um, and, and you would encounter them in a beautiful way. You would restore hope tonight. You would restore relationship tonight. You would give great indicators and practices for us to engage in as we leave from this place. But Lord, I pray that um, you would teach us what it is and what it means that you are friend. You're a friend. And I'd help, I pray that you would help us to see you as that. And I, I pray that you would help us to become that um, to those that you have placed in our life uh, and to you. Uh, in your precious and holy name, can you say amen? There was a study done by the University of Harvard in 1938. This study has been defined as the longest study ever done on happiness. I'm stealing this from uh, Dr. Glenn Packiam from our church here. Uh, but this study was done 79 years on 268 students of Harvard University on what made them happy. And this study followed them all the way until 2017, 1938 to 2017. And the results found that the most essential aspect to a happy life throughout the decades from them leaving college to them being on their deathbed, the most essential aspect to happiness in their lives was friendships and relationships. More than money, more than fame, more than success. Listen to this. It says that the relationships and friendships of these people noted that it protected them from life's discontentments. It delayed mental and physical decline in their old age. And it was better predictors of a long and happy life than a social status, IQ, or genes. So what the study found was that more than seeing the type of family that you are born into, whether it's black, white, Asian, Indian, Mexican, whatever, more than looking at the financial status of the family that you were born into, were you wealthy or were you poor, more than looking at your status among society, what speaks to somebody's ability to live long and healthy is looking at their relationships and more so the quality of their relationships. Now, this is fascinating to me because we spend our lives, the older we get, talking much about how you are going to invest your money, how you're going to invest your time, how when you plan for retirement, when you hit that 55, 56 or 65, 66 age time, when you're going to stop working, the question's going to be, how well did you invest your money? How well did you develop your career? What are you going to do with your life? And very rarely do we ask ourselves the question, how are you investing in your relationships? Because if this study is true, then I think it's pretty important at, at 16, 17, 18 years old for us to say, how do you handle relationships now? And what will your plan be when you graduate high school and go off to college on how you'll handle your relationships and your friendships then? The previous US Surgeon General said, 
that the United States was facing what they called an epidemic. This was before COVID. An epidemic of loneliness. And that it was one of the greatest threats to the United States, physically and mentally. Henry Nouwen, he urgently named loneliness as the greatest challenge to the spiritual life. You don't have to be really aware and paying close attention to realize that this is something that in fact affects our county, doesn't it? Like the reality of loneliness and like the feeling of loneliness is something that resonates deep within many human hearts. Not, not necessarily all across the board. Some people seem like they make friendships more naturally than others, but it seems that as time goes on, as technology becomes more accessible, as social media and TikTok and whatever it is people engage on these days continues to grow, that loneliness kind of seems to grow with it. Now I say all of this just to make you really depressed, pray and send you home. No, I'm just kidding. But there's, it's no secret that we hear these stats, we look at these studies, and it's important for us to acknowledge and realize that friendships matter. Friendships matter. They're in fact one of the primary indicators for a life well lived. A life well lived. And there's four reasons that I wanna suggest to you tonight for why friendship matters. I'm gonna give you the first three on the front end and I'm gonna give you the last one at the end of the message. But these are the three reasons. I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. This is why friendship matters. Number one, we were created in the image of God. The image of God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, eternally engaging in relationship with one another. And out of the overflow of contentment in their love, they create humanity, those made in the image of God. So God in his nature is not solitary. He is engaging in relationship at all times. And if we are created in his image, then it means that friendships in our life are a necessity for life to flourish. Are you with me? We're created in the image of God. Number two, friendship is one of God's precious gifts to humanity. God's saying, I'm giving this to you for your flourishing, for you becoming the best human being that you can possibly be. Augustine, he said this, in this world, two things are essential, life and what? Friendship. Both should be highly prized and we must not undervalue them. C.S. Lewis said this, friendship is the greatest of worldly goods. Certainly to me, it is the chief happiness of life. Friendship is one of God's greatest gifts to humanity. Genesis 2, 18, he says, for it is not good for man to be what? Alone. And he gives man a helpmate. Friendship is a gift from God. And then point number three, let's go back to that first slide. Is friendship helps believers finish the race. So this is a huge one for the Christian faith and for the Christian worldview. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus for the entirety of your life, there are going to have to be certain means, certain fuel in the engine that's going to get you across that finish line. There are gonna be things that are gonna to have to keep you, keep you pushing along, not quitting, not giving up. 
And I wanna suggest to you tonight that we're gonna see in the book of Proverbs, friendships are one of the primary means God gives us to say, finish well. You can do it. Keep going. Don't quit, okay? These three things, if you have a, if you have a notebook, if you have your phone, I want you to write them down. We're creating the image of God. Friendship is one of the most precious gifts God gives to humanity. And friendship helps believers finish the race well. The last thing that I'll tell you will be at the end. Think about, think about the analogy of Lord of the Rings. Do I have any Lord of the Rings fans in here? Yes, yes. Pastor Victor said yes. Okay, <laughs> right? Like, I, like, like Frodo, no doubt, is the one who takes that ring from the Shire and hauls his butt over the course of 14 hours, if you're watching the extended versions, to Mount Doom. And he gets credit for destroying the ring. Sure, we'll give him credit. But Frodo would not have got far without who? Samwise Gamgee. Samwise the brave. You know, right? And when we think about like finishing the race, this is a good illustration to see. Like God has given, hear me, God has given a mandate, a call, and a purpose on every single life in this room. He's called you to something. He's called you to something. And the only way you are going to accomplish whatever it is he has called you to do is if you make the decision to do it with people. You cannot do it alone. In fact, you are not created to do it alone. So the question that I want to answer tonight, we're gonna have a little bit of fun here. We're gonna get really, really practical. The question that I wanna answer tonight is how do we cultivate meaningful friendships? How do we cultivate meaningful friendships? How do we do this well as the people of God? Like how do we actually enter into the practice of cultivating and, and, and engaging in relationships and in friendships that are actually gonna be meaningful for our entire life so that when we come to the end of our lives, we can delay physical and mental decline. So that when we come to the end of our lives, we can find what C.S. Lewis identified as the chief happiness of all worldly goods. I'm gonna give you four things. Four things and we're gonna rock and roll. First thing is this. If you're gonna cultivate meaningful relationships, you're gonna to have to practice establishing rhythms for your relationships. You're gonna to have to practice establishing rhythms for your relationships. There was a study done at the University of Kansas to see how long it took for somebody, two people, to become casual acquaintances to close friends. How many hours did it take? You wanna know what the findings were? I'll tell you whether you want to know or not. So suck it. All right. All right. It says that in order for you to go from leisure, like acquaintances, to casual friends, it took 50 hours of actual engagement with one another, whether you were hanging out leisurely, at home, or out somewhere. 50 hours to go from acquaintances to casual friends. It then says that it took 90 more hours to go from casual friends to simply friends. So zero to 50 hours, acquaintances to casual friends. 90 more hours, so 140 hours total to go from acquaintances to simply friends. And then 200 hours 
to become what they would call close friends. Close friends. 50 hours to 140 hours to 200 hours of becoming close friends. Now, here's the thing. In the UK, the average person has about 550 friends on social media. I'm suspecting that's somewhat close to what we have here. And they said of the 550 friends they have on social media, about five are considered close friends. 1%, actually less than 1%. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that that's probably the case here. You probably have many friends acquaintances, maybe some people do in here. We all know the social butterflies who seem to know everyone, right? And there are the introverts in this room who are like, I barely know one human being and I like it that way, <laughs> right? But there's, there's, there's something that we can say that we usually have just a few really close friends and as you go outside your circle, things begin to increase. But here's the thing, you have to learn to invest in different types of relationships in your life. In 1 John 2, the apostle writes about older fathers, young men, and children. And he's talking about the body of Christ. And those are kind of the, the lenses that I want to talk about for the relationships that I, as your youth pastor, want to encourage you to invest in. The first would be spiritual fathers and mothers, sages, leaders, counselors, okay? These are the people in your life you are likely not going to spend 200 leisure hours with, all right? That could be kind of boring, right? But these are the people in your life who have gone before you. They are older than you. They are 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years older than you. And as you look at the things that you wanna do in your life, we have a plethora of talented people in this room. I know I've been to several different dance recitals and musicals in this room. I have been to many soccer games and basketball games and football games and lacrosse games in this room. I know we have kids who are in speech and debate in this room. I know that we have worship leaders in this room. I know we have people who are going to go into the ministry field down the road. I know we have, we have incredible moms and dads in this room. Hopefully not yet, but one day. Right? Like, like, God's going to call you to do something awesome. Hear me. One of the best ways that you are going to do it well is you go put yourself at the feet of somebody who's done it before you and practice and listen and hear what they have to say to you. Proverbs 13, 20, we talked about this last week. Whoever walks with the wise, what? Becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. These are people who you admire and you respect. Many of the pastors here at this church, they've been here for 20 plus years. It would behoove me as a young pastor to go put my feet before them and say, hey, can I buy you lunch? And can you teach me over time how you did this well? I have many friends who I love the way these parents parented their kids as I watched from a distance. My parents weren't perfect parents by any means. And I, looked at, I, look, at, I look at other friends and I go, you know what, I, I, I want to parent one day my kids like that. So you know where I'm going to go when I start having kids? To them. And say, what books did you read? What books did you read? Right? Like, like what did you do to become a good father? What did you, what did, I'm going to look at marriages, men who I, I see love their wives really well, who lay down their life for their wives really well. And I'm going to ask them, hey, 
How did you do this for 20 years? How did you stay in love with this woman who makes you so mad? So much. Like, like how, did, how did you do it? Mr. Mr. Gowler, he's out here. He's one of our life safety members. He runs a business where he builds homes and he invests in real estate. And he does it really, really well in our city. And so I went to him and I said, can I buy you lunch on Thursday? I'd like to pick your brain on how you did this well and raised a family who loves Jesus. Small things, small things, but this is what we practically get to do. He who walks with the wise becomes wise. Now here's what I wanna say with this. Most people spend their life trying to find like that one person who can like fit all of this criteria. They're like a sage, a leader, a counselor. It's less likely that you're gonna find one and you need to find 10. You with me? Like, like, I need to go find a husband who might be like crushing it, like in the husband game, but he might just be absolutely terrible with money. I'm not gonna ask him about money. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna find a guy who's absolutely rocked it in business. And he might not be like, like the best guy at like making it to church every week, but he knows how to handle money. And I'm gonna go find, I, I'm, I'm gonna go find a mental health professional who can walk with me through childhood trauma or things that I'm wrestling with that, that nobody who's not a, a mental health professional should be walking me with and I'm going to go find him and I'm going to put my, my, my feet before him and I'm going to ask him questions. I'm going to have him ask me questions. I'm, I'm going to find people for certain areas of my life. Are you with me? That's okay. You're not betraying somebody older if you don't respect their advice. Did you hear what I said? I feel like all teenagers should be like, praise God to a statement like that. Like you don't have to take everybody's advice, but hear me, if you're not hearing or listening from anybody who's ahead of you, you're a fool. The companion of fools suffers harm. He skipped to the other verse, right? Right? Fine, and, and here's one quality that I do think you need to find in about two or three older companions. I'm gonna end this relationship with this. Is find somebody who can tell you no, and you know that it's coming in love. Like, find somebody that you can put your life in front of and say, this is what I wanna do, and they can look at you and go, you're being an idiot. And you go, I know you love me, right? Like, you need those type of people in your life. Those are spiritual fathers. The second would be peers, younger brothers, younger sisters, young men. This is how 1 John acknowledges it. These are the type of people who are in two stages with you. They are either one, like, th like this room would probably be defined as peers. They are in the same war, but maybe not same battle as you. You have peers all over. You have peers at school. You have peers at youth group. You have peers on your sports team. You have peers where you work. These are gonna be the people who are standing alongside you and are having to wrestle with the things of your life with you in this life. Like, and that's not a bad thing. You're gonna have to invest in these type of relationships. And usually the brother and sister relationship comes as a product of you first investing in the peer relationship. That first 50 to 140 hours is that peer relationship. You learning to have to walk with the people of your generation. It says here in Proverbs 27, 17, that as iron sharpens iron, what? So one person sharpens another. These are the people that you are going to walk with. You have to learn to care. 
for the generation that God has put you in, is what I'm trying to say here. Far too often, and I experience this now more than ever, I meet 15-year-olds who want to be 23. They want to be in college already. They want to be like making like, they're wanting to open like retirement accounts. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> but, like, but like, it's this mantra of, I don't want to be where God's placed me. I want to be here. And when we live with that mentality, we lose a care and affection for the people that God has placed around us. Like we can simply keep this to this room right now. These are the people that God has preordained for you to bear the burden of what life looks like right now with. And this is a big deal. But I don't think it just ends there. You can't, you can't just have relationship with peers. You need your Samwise the brave. You need your friends that stick closer than a brother. Proverbs 17, 17, it says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24, this is one of my favorite Proverbs. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You gotta have people that you can call in crisis. You gotta have people who know you better than anyone else. When I was in high school, this was Harrison Musser. My wife, he's now my brother-in-law. He was a guy I could call at any time, two in the morning. He was a guy my senior year. We'd, we'd drive out at 10 o'clock at night. We'd meet at Cottonwood Park and we'd sit, we'd talk. We'd play roller hockey together. We'd pray with one another. We'd ask, what's God doing in each other's lives? Like there are friends that you care about that stick closer than a brother. Now I know some of you in here are going, I have no one like that. Please be taking notes. Because <laughs> there's a way to get to a place like this with friends, all right? So friends, peers, brothers, sisters, and then finally, in 1 John, you have the young children, the generation behind you. I'm not gonna spend much time on this, but this is just what I wanna say with it. Like I think, I think that far too often there is a carelessness towards the generation who sits behind you. Every night we have about 100 junior high kids who walk out of these doors like a bunch of crazy prepubescent kids who are knocked up on sugar running into that student chapel. And trust me, I hear from many of you, I hate that junior high's with us on Wednesday night. We want our own space back. I get it. I'm not here to rebuke that. Here's what I am here to rebuke. The carelessness with the responsibility that's on you to love that generation. Like, like they are getting a picture of who Jesus is by looking at your generation. And I think far too little, we look at a generation and say, hey, take that seriously. Because it is upon, it's the responsibility of every generation to contextualize and pass on the good news of Jesus Christ to the next. And if there's a carelessness with the kids who are over there, your younger siblings or your friend's younger siblings, then the generation who's going to suffer for it is that generation and the generation that comes after them. Are you with me? Invest diversely into your friendships. Practice establishing healthy rhythms. Take friends out on a regular basis. Be with them regularly. Practice number two for cultivating meaningful friendships. This is a big one. Practice taking conversations one notch deeper. 
There's two sides of this coin that I want to address. I think that if you're wanting to have close friends in your life, if you're sitting here this evening and you say, I have no close friends, I have nobody who knows me really well and nobody who I know really well, or you're in here tonight and you're like, I have 15 peers who I'm somewhat like casual friends with or just friends with, but I can't like take it that one step further to them becoming close friends. The reason is, is because you're probably pretty poor and they're probably pretty poor at taking your conversations a little bit deeper. And so this is what I wanna encourage you to do. If you're in this like middle ground where you don't have any close friends, you don't have anybody who you would call your brothers or your sisters, but plenty of people you would call your peers, I want you to practice the art of asking questions. Asking questions. Take them out to coffee. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to pay attention to what's meaningful in their life, their family, their siblings, what they're doing, the things that they're passionate about, and then ask them how is that going? What do you want, where do you wanna see yourself three to five years from now? How do you think, like, what do you think God's doing in you with that? Ask the question, what do you think God is teaching you right now? What are you struggling with right now? But here's, here's the important side to that equation. If you desire that with a friend, and if you're gonna go take a friend out and you're gonna ask them those questions, you have to be willing to do one simple thing, is answer those questions yourself. If you want somebody to draw closer to you, you're going to have to be willing to open yourself up to them. Practice asking questions. Take those conversations one notch deeper. Now that's one side that I wanna talk about. If, you're, if you have a lot of peers and you're, you don't know how to, to take it, just take it deeper. Ask what's God doing in them. Ask what they're caring about in the world. Ask, ask what they're having a hard time seeing in the world right now. And just be a good listener. Be a good listener. Taking conversations one notch deeper on the other side, learn to be okay with conflict. This is what I mean by this. Far too often we lose out on friendships because we don't have the humility to say we're sorry. Or we don't have the humility to say you hurt me. And if you're wanting meaningful friendships, you're gonna have to be a person who's willing to get in the mud with people. You're gonna have to be a person who's willing to go into conflict and go to bouts with people and say, that sucked. And what you did offended me and, and, and how the situation played out left me on the outskirts of things. And, and far too often how I see this situation handled right now in high school is you just stop talking. And we wonder why people feel so lonely. Be willing to engage with conversations. Now I wanna say both of these with this, you just need to throw out the conversations that are toxic to your friendships. Gossip, slandering, things that are throwing down other people, who are uh, uh, throwing people under the bus that aren't around. I want you to look here at this proverb. Where is it? Proverbs 16, 28. It says, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Like, don't be this person. And hear me, like Proverbs defines this type of person all throughout Proverbs as wicked and a fool. Stay away from those people. They're not there to cultivate intimacy. They're not there to glorify God. They're there to tear you 
down. Don't be this person, and as Proverbs will say, avoid this person. Are you with me? Are you with me? All right. Practice taking conversations one notch deeper. Number three, I like the language here. Practice oxygenating your friendship with affection and affirmation. Ooh. All of the dating relationships are like, I like this one. This is what I want to say this whole. Let me stay to the notes before I go off on a tangent. Before I go off on a tangent. Proverbs 22.11 says this. One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have what? A king for a friend. This is something I do think we need to talk about. I'm gonna talk about in two forms here, even though it's not exclusive to each, age, uh, to each gender. Fellas. Fellas. I think, um, I think far too often here. Hi, Blake. It's good to see you, buddy. Uh, I think far too often, can we go back to the point, Mr. Anderson? The point number three. There we go. I think that we, men especially, have a really hard time expressing affection for a couple different reasons, right? Like either one, we've, we've either made the practice of like giving affection, and here's what I mean by affection. I'm not talking about like kissing your girlfriend on the mouth. I'm talking about like being able to give the boys a hug. I'm talking about being able to express excitement that you're like with your friends. And here's the problem, like I think, I think the way culture labels some of these things make it to where we shame some of those sorts of things. But there's example after example in the Bible where that is not the case. In 1 Samuel 18, you see, you see Jonathan and David have a love for one another that goes deeper than like brotherhood. And when, when Jonathan realized that Saul, his father, is trying to kill David, like it breaks, it breaks his heart and he weeps over his brother David. In Acts 20, when you have the apostle Paul leaving Ephesus, you see the Ephesian elders, the other men of the church, like weeping and embracing and kissing him because they don't want him to leave. Like there is a godly affection given between, among the body of Christ that doesn't have to be sexual affection for it to be encouraging to relationships. And I think we're just really, really bad at showing it. The flip side of this is I think we're, we can be really, really bad at speaking words of life over one another. My, uh, my wife and I, we have a practice that we like to do when it comes to our birthdays that we'd sit each other down and we'd say like, this is how I see God in you. This is how I see God growing you. This is how I see you being a gift to the body of Christ. And this practice became burden on my wife's heart to bring all of her sisters, her mother and her grandmother to come and practice it. And none of them wanted to do it because nobody likes being put on the spot. It's really kind of vulnerable. And so they all avoided it and they all kind of resisted her. But she, despite the fact that they didn't want to, brought them all over to our house. She fed them breakfast and she said, okay, we're gonna just take time, put each person in the middle of the room and we're all just gonna speak life over them. And so they began to speak life and as things, things were really difficult at first and like shaming at first, all of a sudden over the course of like 10 minutes, people started welling up in tears and, and crying. And, and then their grandmother came and sat down. They all spoke over her and she was weeping and she said, I'm really grateful that it didn't take me dying for people have to, to say this about me, but I got to hear it before I go. And there's just something to be said about like the, 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 the church, like the people of God is supposed to be a place where expressing affection 
and affirmation is a life-giving practice that we all do with one another. Are you with me? If you want to cultivate meaningful friendships, practice oxygenating your friendships with affirmation and affection. And then finally this, practice praying with one another. My closest friends, my closest friends, I want to go ahead and invite the band back up. My closest friends that I have in my life, some one lives in Texas. I have one who lives in Boulder right now. Pastor Victor, who's about to come up here and, and lead you in worship. I got a friend who's on the verge of getting engaged here in a couple weeks. My best friend who I married. I do this regularly with them. You wanna know why? Going back to what we talked about last week in Proverbs 1, 7, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. When you pray with people, do you know what you are doing? You are together putting yourselves in a position to see God rightly, to see God for who he is. And I think this one is really, really rare. You know how often we ask how somebody's day is going, they tell us, and it's going bad, and how it's the sweetest invitation for us just to say, can I pray for you real quick? And what that communicates to another soul, but because of fear of being embarrassed, because of fear of not knowing what to say, we avoid this. And the invitation of the gospel is, no, 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 no. Pray with one another regularly. Outdo one another in showing honor to one another. This is how we cultivate meaningful friendships. We learn to establish good rhythms. We're with each other regularly. We practice showing affection and affirmation towards one another. We find the right relationships to, to pour inside our life and we pray with one another. But I wanna, I wanna finish with where we began. Why do friendships matter? Why do friendships matter? And here's the ultimate reason. Is that friendship points to the gospel. It points to the gospel. The good news, brothers and sisters, hear me. And, and I'm telling you as somebody who finds it really easy to see God as sovereign, I have a really easy time seeing God as my savior. I have a really easy time seeing God as my redeemer. I have a really easy time seeing God as the one who's over all things, but I very, very rarely think of God as my friend. And I want you to hear this, the words of Jesus in John 15. And he looks at his followers and he says, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants does not know what his master is doing. Look here, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. The good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus came to save you or me, but hear me. 
but that he came to befriend us. What a great gift for one to say, I am a friend of God. Can you stand with me? I know this isn't my normal self. Usually I'm screaming up here a lot more. I'm a lot more impassioned. But as I was praying for you uh, tonight, I just got a sense like, man, there, I've, I've had so many coffee meetings. I've had so many lunches. I've had so many breakfasts with so many of you, so many of you, where the word that I hear come out is lonely. I'm lonely and I don't know how to make friends or I don't know how to like get my friendships deeper and I'm, I'm scared and I'm, I'm intimidated to do it. And I just think the invitation of Jesus for all of us tonight is to trust him, to befriend him and simply receive the gift that he has for us. Like the gospel is that before the foundation of the world, God saw you and said, I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. And so what do we do in the practice of, I don't know where to go from here or I don't have any friends? Hear me, the God of the universe delights in us asking him, can you help me? So that being said, Can we bring the lights down, Drew? I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to contemplate these three words. God is friend. And those words are on purpose. It's not just God is a friend or God is the friend. God is friend. What we're saying there is this is an attribute of his character and his nature. He is one who desires regular time with you. He wants regular time with you. He is one who desires having affection and affirmation given to you. He desires that. He is one who delights in praying over you. He's one who delights in being with you. God is friend. As we head back into this worship song, I want you to just wrestle with that truth. And ask yourself the question maybe first this, am I a friend of God? And then maybe speak the truth in response to that. He desires to be my friend. J.C. Ryle said that no one ever needs say that I have no friend to turn to as long as Christ is in heaven. And it's very, very true. No one need ever say that I don't have a friend if Jesus is on the throne. So Father, we welcome you. And I pray you would help resonate in our souls at the very core of our being that you are friend. You are Emmanuel, the God who is with us. So Spirit, I pray that you would pour yourself out here and I pray even now you would take the lonely in this room and you would set them into family. 
you would welcome them into eternal friendship. And I pray that as we go from this place, our friendships, our relationships would be but a drop in the ocean, a glimpse of the friendship that we have in you. Brothers and sisters, let's worship. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.